Uh, we are continuing in the book of Luke this morning. Uh, that is one of four books in the Bible about the life, the death, the resurrection, and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you want to follow along, and I highly encourage you to do so, there's a Bible under every chair. We're just going to work right through the Bible this morning. Uh, we're actually going to read the whole thing. I'm just kidding. Uh, just in Luke 12, uh, page 845 is where we're going to be. Or again, you can use that Renovation Church app. You just have Bible and weekly verses. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I mentioned that we are in this section of Luke where the teachings of Jesus Christ are quite intense. Uh, this is not the section of the Bible where you find Jesus forgiving the prostitute or hugging little kids or even feeding the 5,000. And today, Jesus is going to speak very straightforwardly. So straightforwardly, it's probably going to make you as a modern-day American even feel uncomfortable He's going to speak very straightforwardly about things like heaven and hell, even judgment. Right, these are all the types of things that most Americans prefer not even to think about. We all just want to assume that things are going to work out for the best. In fact, I read a, a study, that was just last week, maybe a week and a half ago, and it said that only 1% of Americans think that there's a possibility that they might go to hell. What does that mean? Well, it just means basically 99% of Americans either know for sure they're going to heaven or really there's a massive chunk in there that just, we just assume. We assume that, okay, I'll get there, I'll die, and things are going to be okay someday. But I assure you where you're going to be for the next 40 billion plus years of your life is the most important thing you could possibly know. All right, so let's look at our passage. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start right at verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak, first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Okay, th th this is in part a continuation from where we were uh, last week at the very end of uh, chapter 11. We saw Jesus is pointing out just the vast hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They're trying to show that they're very godly and holy on the outside, but he tells them at the end of chapter 11 that on the inside, they're actually full of wickedness and greed. And like any modern-day hypocrite, which we all are to some capacity, hypocrisy depends on concealment. Because right? nobody really knows what your thoughts are like. Right? They don't know our inner feelings of hate or jealousy or judgmentalism or lust or greed. I mean, almost all of that is entirely concealed from other people, if you think about it, right? Uh, and so is much of our private lives. lives. Uh, people don't really know what you do in the privacy of your home or what you do on your phone, what you do on the Internet. So what is Jesus saying in this verse, verse 2, about the hypocrisy that we conceal? All of us. He's saying that hypocrisy will be impossible on judgment day. He says there's nothing in your life that will not be made known. There's nothing that will not be disclosed when it's time for us to stand in front of God. That is intense, right? But it's what Jesus said. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 3. Jesus says, What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Uh, here, what Jesus is saying is, since the lives of those who persecute you 
will be exposed for what they are, that they're evil. Because remember, everything is going to be made known at judgment. Since that's true, don't fear them. In fact, because you shouldn't fear them, you should actually instead be proclaiming this gospel, this good news that no matter how messed up or sinful a person is, that Jesus Christ can forgive them. In fact, you should be proclaiming that from the rooftops, he says. It's that good of news. Okay, verse 4. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that, can do no more. Okay, Jesus is telling his disciples that they actually shouldn't fear people who persecute them. They shouldn't even fear people who would kill them because all they would be doing is sending them to heaven. So in other words, there's going to come a day at judgment where you will be surprised that you ever even feared being socially ostracized for your faith. Right? Because in America, I doubt that none of us are actually afraid that someone's going to kill us for our faith. But many of us, we fear that our, our friends or our coworkers or our family members, they might mock us for our devotion to Jesus. You know, I have a friend uh, who's in the house group that I attend who was uh, telling us last year that at work, he's, 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 he's bold in his faith. I admire him a lot in his faith. And his boss came to him at work because he's just bold. And he said, you know what, I just, I'm going to need you to tone down the Jesus talk with your coworkers. Like, for most of us, that would scare us silly, right? And we, would, we would probably never talk about Jesus again. Or, or maybe you have talked about the forgiveness of Christ to a family member, and that family member just lashed out at you. And for a lot of us, we just sort of resolve, hey, I'm never going to bring that up again with that person. We fear what they think, or we fear at work what the possible consequences could be to us. And Jesus is saying, ah, I don't think you're going to fear that at Judgment Day. In fact, he tells you to fear something different. One of the main points of this text is Jesus is telling you to fear the right thing. Look at verse 5. This is where we're going to start to feel really uncomfortable as Americans. These are the words of Jesus. Verse 5. Jesus says, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, whatever you hear from this point onward, know that this is not like some, a crazy church where some guy is just saying crazy things. I'm reading to you the words of Jesus Christ. Now, I assure you this is a section of the Bible that most churches just skip right over because it's that intense. But I'm not saying this. These are the words of the Son of God. I think a lot of this talk on, on judgment or, or hell, it's, it's hard, it's a difficult for us as modern-day Americans to kind of fit into the version of God that we want to have. We've got to remember that all of us, our theology, our version of God is influenced by our surroundings, it's by our culture. Every single person. Our view of God is influenced by our culture. That's why we always have to be on this quest, biblically, to figure out who God really is, apart from our culture. Remember, God is so many different things, right? God is a love and truth. He's grace and power. He's merciful, and he's the judge. You know, maybe this makes more sense if you think of it like as a parent. Uh, some of you that, who have young kids, you ever like wrestle with your kids, maybe like the dads in the room? Uh, sometimes 
I'll get down with my kids. I have two kids that are six, one that's three, and uh, we play this game called Bowl. Or I get down on like my hands and knees, and you put your head against each other, right? And you kind of see which bull is the strongest, right? Now, nine times out of ten, my kids will start pushing against me. I'll go, oh, wow, you are so strong, right? You know how this goes, right? You play this game. And you just go backwards, and finally, I just, maybe you haven't played this game. Why don't you just laugh at me? <laughs> it's super fun. Okay, so you're playing this game, and nine times out of ten, I I just, I fall over and I go, oh, you're too strong for me, right? But every, after like three or four times, I get, I'll just be honest with you, I get kind of bored, right? And I think, what if I was the strong bull for once, right? And so I'll, I, I'll turn it on just for a second and I'll push them back. They've been thinking the whole time that they're in control, right? And what happens is just for a split second, I see, when I start actually moving them, I see this look of terror in their eyes, like... <laughs> Like, oh, my father is 10 times stronger than I am. Right? And then it quickly their eyes turn back to just joy because they know that I'm, I'm, I'm their father. They're my son, my daughter, and I would never hurt them. Right? But I think there's something in there that God, our father, he's a God of love, but we cannot forget that he is a God of incredible power. And so we should take the words of Jesus and we should both love and fear God. Because Jesus says, yes, he can love you, he can comfort you, but as Jesus also says, God also has the power to send you into hell. We are then, as Jesus said, we are to fear God, not man. And fascinatingly, your fear of God influences your fear of man. Spurgeon, Spurgeon said it this way. He says, there is no cure for the fear of man like the fear of God. Uh, Oswald Chambers, who wrote the famous book, My Utmost for His Highest, uh, similarly once said it this way. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. See, it might feel to you like the safer path if you were just to you know, not let anyone know that you follow God. Not let anyone know that you are a Christian. Just kind of keep your faith private. But see, that's actually a faith that's covered in fear because you're always thinking about what other people think of you. Oh, are they thinking I'm a Christian? They must think I'm crazy. They must. There's so much worry wrapped up in this. But if you want to actually cast off fear in your life, the Bible's saying that you ought to fear God. And one of the ways that you do that is you think often on the spiritual truths, especially of eternity. You put your mind off into the future and what's actually coming. Think of it this way. When your life is over and you stand in front of God for judgment and you watch with eyes wide open as some of the people in front of you in line are being cast into hell, Standing in that line, when you actually see life for the first time, for what it really is, what you will regret are the times when you were fearful to share the truth that you knew all along. Standing in that line for judgment, you won't regret the times you were bold. Even if it didn't work out, even if you were mocked for it, even if you suffered for it, Listen, if, if your apartment building was on fire, 
And you started running down the hallway, knocking on doors, trying to save people, trying to say, you've got to flee. The flames are coming. You need to flee. Let's say people are fleeing, and they're fleeing and fleeing, and you get down to the end of the hallway, right? We can't smell it yet, maybe. And you knock on the door. You say, you've got to flee. The flames are coming. And the person just starts cursing you out. And they start scolding you for speaking such nonsense into their lives. If you saw the fear coming in that moment, would you regret warning them? Would you continue to fear if they just continued to yell back at you? No. And what I'm saying to you is on judgment day, when this part of life is over, and you see people, not everyone's going to heaven. People are literally being cast into hell. I guarantee you, you will not feel an ounce of regret for every syllable of boldness you ever uttered. When I can't get up the courage to talk about Jesus to someone, or I can't get up the courage to to speak on intense passages like this in the Bible, one of the things that I say to myself is I just say, David, fear God, not man. And Jesus tells us we train our minds on truths. There's another one that's really helpful. This is verse 6 now. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. See, when you, when you actually fear God, when you trust that he's in control, no matter how bold you are for him, no matter how much you go out in your faith for him, you don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. You don't need anxiety. Why? Because he just said, you, you are of infinite value to God. God knows and cares for even the sparrows, and he cares infinitely more for you. God cares so much for you that he says he literally knows the number of hairs on your head. Now, admittedly, uh, for some of you, there are less to count, uh, but the average person has 100,000 hairs on their head. God knows them all. See, now, if that's true, if God knows you with such intricate detail, surely he's watching over you. Surely he has a plan for you. Surely he will be with you if you boldly go out for him. Friends, no matter what is happening in your life right now, I don't know, I'm, some of you in this room, I'm guessing in a room this size, life is just crazy. No matter what is happening in your life right now, God is in control. Think about this. The word of God says this. If God knows there are 97,138 hairs on your head, do you not think that he's aware of the difficulties that you're facing? Do you not think that he's not with Of course he's with you. Trust him. Do not fear. Okay, Jesus continues in this intense passage. Now he's going to get us out of the present again and back to judgment day, which is really kind of the focus of this passage. Verse 8 says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man, that's a title for Jesus, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Again, this is a incredibly tough word for Americans because we hold to this really odd notion in America that faith is meant to be a private thing. 
as if it makes any logical sense to keep the most important part of your life private, as if it makes any logical sense to keep the very knowledge that could save another person from hell uh, private. But what does Jesus actually say? Because we have to look carefully here at the words of Jesus, right? Not our culture, not just what some church says. What does Jesus Christ, the Son of God, what does he say? Look at it. Jesus says, this is from from verse 8, he says, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before the angels of God. So we're back to this theme of judgment again, right? So this is, you've died, you're at judgment with God, and there's a very public nature to your, to your judgment. That's one of the things I don't think we think about a whole lot. Even the angels are there. And, and Jesus says, to the people that never talked about me, to anyone, to the people who always shirked back, to the people who always played down their faith when questioned about it, to the people who said, well, uh, when they were questioned, they said, well, I'm not... I'm not really sure like, that I believe all of the Bible. Well, I, 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 like, I wouldn't say that I'm like a Christian Christian. He's saying, if you're ashamed of me, if you disown me, then I will disown you. Friends, never be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Never be ashamed of Jesus who died for you and had his blood spilt for you. Never be ashamed of Jesus for fear that one day he could be ashamed of you. I want us to put all of these nine verses together and I want us to think critically about what Jesus is talking about, your judgment day. And again, this is so different. I, I, I'm sure you can't count on one hand or even one finger the number of messages you've heard about a judgment day before, but that is what this passage is about. Because our judgment day will come, right? As uncomfortable as we all feel, it's going to happen. Every single person in this room will die. And one day, we will stand in front of God to be judged, every single one of us. A look to the book of Revelation, which describes judgment in a little bit more detail. It says this. It says, Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you know what this is saying? saying that when we die, that Jesus Christ will be seated on the throne, and the angels will be there, and multitudes of people will be there. It's all very public. And it says the books will be open. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about in verse 2 of our passage, where he says, there is nothing concealed here on earth that will not be disclosed. 
There's nothing hidden that will not be made known. Nothing. All of your life will be laid bare. Can you even imagine that? There's no rush. Jesus has all of eternity here. There's no rush to just summarize. Can you imagine the reading of your life at judgment? I I can hardly bear to think about it. I think about my own life. I think about my own sin. I just, I just tremble thinking about it. And there will be no good deed that can save us. When the books are open and your life is actually read and every evil thought is read out loud, every thought of jealousy, of bitterness, of greed, every look of lust, every look at pornography, every sexual sin, every single lie, every drunken night, every prideful moment. Friends, listen to me. I guarantee you, when the books are open and your life is actually read, there is not a single person in this room upon hearing Jesus read through their life that will look to him and say, ah, sounds about good enough to me, please let me in. If you are counting on your own good deeds to save you, if you're saying, well, I think generally I'm a, I'm, I'm a decent person, I'm a good enough, if you're counting on your own good deeds to save you, by the time God is even 5% through reading through your life, you will feel completely and utterly hopeless to save yourself. But the Bible says, but if your name is written in the book of life, it's a different book, The book of life is explained a number of times in the Bible. And the book of life is a list of those who believe that Jesus Christ died in their place. They're the followers of Jesus, his true followers. These aren't people who believe that they're going to be saved just by being a good enough person, that God just is going to accept them because he has to. These are the ones that believe that they're kind of a mess that they're full of sin, that they can never save themselves, but by their faith, they believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and took their punishment in their place. And when they believe that in faith, the Bible says that God then writes their name in the book of life as saved. Now imagine this. Imagine it's you, and you've died. and you're sitting through your own judgment. The weight of your sin will be so heavy, especially as you sit in front of a holy God who saw all of it with his own eyes. There will be no sweeping it under the rug anymore. There's no hiding it. There is no rationalizing you can do. You won't be able to say, well, actually, but see if you... In front of an almighty God, you will be speechless. The weight of your own sin will feel so heavy, it will feel as if it could crush you. And imagine Jesus Christ with his beautiful and blazing eyes looking at you. And after he reads through the list of all of your heinous sins, He looks at you, 
He says, but you, my daughter, but you, my son, your name is in the book of life. And I have covered you with my righteousness. For all of those sins that I just read through, all of them, I died for you in your place. And you will not be punished for them. I already took it. I already took the punishment on the cross because I love you that much. Now come and enter my rest forever. I promise you, I promise you, you will never You will never, you will never feel a greater moment of joy than what you will feel in that moment. When you fully realize what Jesus did for you on the cross, there's no more, oh yeah, I believe Jesus died for me. When you hear your sins read in front of a holy almighty God and you feel like you're going to be crushed by them and he looks at you and he says, but I love you and I got them covered. Oh, the grace of God. Now, if you get that, if you truly get that, you won't fear men anymore. I promise you that. And listen to me. I want you to listen very closely. If you are in this room this morning, if God has brought you to this room this morning, and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, You haven't believed that he died in your place to cover your sins. You haven't started to follow him. You haven't surrendered your life to him because that's what this is. There's no cheap grace, right? There's no cheap like, oh, yeah, I believe that you forgive me and then go off and you kind of live your own life. That's still denying him. If you do that, he will deny you. But if you are here right now and God has brought you to this room this morning, that was intentional, and your body is shaking with a level of uncertainty that someday the books will be opened. And as things stand right now, you will not be covered by Jesus' sacrifice because you haven't surrendered your life to him. Instead, at judgment, you will be condemned. I pray, I pray, I pray that you let God save you today because he's willing to. Think about that. God has seen everything, 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 everything. And he looks at you and he still says, I just love them. I just love them and I want them in my family. I want them to be my son. I want them to be my daughter. He wants to forgive you, to cover you with his sacrifice. But it'll only happen if you let him. If you don't surrender to God, you cannot save yourself. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to call a band back on stage. Right now, we're, we're going to sing a, a final song of worship. If you want your name in the book of life, if you need to believe that Jesus died for you, you need to surrender your life to him for the first time. Here's what I want you to do. At any time during this last song, I want you to walk to the front of the room and stand here in front of the stage, just facing this way. Any time during the song, you just come forward. Now, I get it. That's kind of a public thing to do, right? But what do we just read in the Word of God? One day, everything will be disclosed and made known. 
Whether you believe in Jesus or not, your life will be made public. Better to acknowledge him in public now and let him save you than to deny him in your heart now and have him deny you in public later. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Let him save you today. If you want to believe in Jesus and start following him, anytime during the song, why don't you just come forward? Let him forgive you. Let him write your name in the book of life. Let's worship.